Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And we're definitely not talking about BotKeeper this week, right, David? Correct. But I hope you have some other articles because I like when parsed through all mine, sat down to get ready for the show, realized most things are not worth talking about. And I wound up coincidentally only having articles about Intuit this week. Well, there's a ton of great Intuit stuff uh, this week, given that the we have the transcript from the earnings, earnings call, and we'll get to that. I've also got a story about JP Morgan and Square, which is very interesting. And they actually, David, you kind of like called this months ago. So that's going to be interesting. Also, a story about Abacus, the Expensify and Concur competitor. And if we can get to it, a story from the consulting firm Corn Ferry about how job switchers are earning more money than those who stay in their job. Good. Should we jump in? Yeah, let's talk about Intuit. All right. So first, I got caught by the clickbait headline that ran in payments, which said, Intuit denies data breach at TurboTax. <laughs> and so I, I kind of was busy and I think I even sent you a text. I was like, hey, we might have a story here. There might be a breach at TurboTax. But then Accounting Today had a little bit more sane headline that said Intuit catches credential stuffing attacked on TurboTax account. Mm -hmm. And so you were able to research into this a little bit. Yes. Yeah. So basically what happened is classic situation uh, with hacking these days where some hackers broke into an unrelated website where people who also happen to use TurboTax had used the exact same password and username that they used for TurboTax. Website xyz.com got hacked and they took these usernames and they started trying them on TurboTax to see if they could hack in because people don't use different passwords. And it it worked, but Intuit was able to catch it, which is a good thing. So Intuit has some sort of account logging fraud detection and they detected it and then they pretty much shut it down. So that's actually really good um, on Intuit's side then. Yeah, it's good for Intuit. And it's a it's a reminder to all of us of the importance of password managers and using, uh, well, using unique passwords on every website so that if one of them does get hacked, they can't get into your other more important banking and financial and tax sites. So uh, if you don't have one, download a password manager. I'm a big fan of LastPass. What do you, do you use one, David? I use, um, I just, I, I do have LastPass, but I actually just use uh, the built-in Firefox stuff. Mm, and then, yeah. but I do do two, uh, two factor on everything. If, okay. if there's two factor available. So I've, for example, I have two factor mine to it. And yes, it's a hassle every time I log into Mint, every time I log into QuickBooks, and I'm, obviously I'm using TurboTax Live and I log into that, I have to pull up my phone and type in my six digit code. But, you know, at the, the cost of the time is probably worth the security. Definitely for your financial accounts. But actually, I, I, I am interested to know if Intuit is, I think obviously they're not enforcing multi-factor authentication on TurboTax. They really probably should, at least via text messages, even though that's not the most secure way. It would basically stop this kind of thing in its tracks. So if they required it. Yeah. So the idea yeah. being that when you sign up for an account for TurboTax, you also put in your mobile number and then they would text you a code every time you log in. That way, even if somebody gets your password, they can't get in. And so I think that that's where Intuit could improve in this respect. But I think the trouble on this is like some people might have created that Intuit account a decade ago. Mm, yeah, and so that that's some of the problem on this is I, I think that, that there's a challenge if you a brand new startup yeah it's easy you're yeah. only taking on new customers but people have had their Intuit accounts for decades yeah getting them to forcing them to sign up for it is a pain well that's good though the the, the headline was scary but the reality it wasn't anything to worry about not like Marriott right but that's a, but that's exactly how this happens right like a hack at Marriott or hack at one of these other companies 
exposes a bunch of people's usernames and passwords on that site. And then people just start trying them on other sites. And somebody, obviously, some hacker yeah. somewhere decided, hey, I'm going to try out TurboTax. And that's where they started trying to use them at. So moving on to other Intuit news, this I am very, very excited to talk about, David. This is the transcript from the Intuit earnings call in which Sasan Ghadarzi, CEO of Intuit, discussed their second quarter 2019 results. So, And, and I think what turned us on to that, there's a tweet yes. last episode, right? Mm-hmm. That was uh, about, he made that vague comment in a tweet about he discussed uh, an AI expert platform. Mm-hmm. And, you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. So this made me go and dig up the earnings call and, and regular listeners of the show will recall that there was, there was some amazing tidbits in uh, last year's earnings call about like hinting at the future of QuickBooks Live uh, based on the results from TurboTax Live. So now I'm, I'm becoming an analyst and I'm digging through these earnings calls. So I finally sat down, went through the transcript and I couldn't believe it. David, the story that we broke about QuickBooks Live and all the commentary from all the thought leaders in the profession, like all you all you folks who are listening that wrote about QuickBooks Live on your blogs and you know Joe Woodard on Insightful Accountant, an analyst from RBC must have read this stuff and asked Sasan Kudarzi on the earnings call about it. Shall I read the Shall I read the question and response? Yeah, why not? This was this was Ross McMillan. And he said uh, there was some commentary around, I guess, the test product bookkeeping that was out there. Uh, and I know it's not a product that's in the market yet, but I was just curious of kind of your thoughts around that. And maybe if there's anything just to talk about on a potential product in the future. Sasan replies, yes, I think you're asking about QuickBooks Live. Let me just take a step back and set up some context. When you think about what I shared earlier around an AI-driven expert platform, there are common needs across all of our customers that we serve, consumer, self-employed, and small business. And one of the biggest problems that customers face is confidence. And so one of the most important areas that we are focused on is connecting people with experts on our platform. And we've been doing some testing to learn what's important to small businesses, what's important to bookkeepers, enrolled agents, and accountants, and running a test to make that connection. And so far, we like what we see in the test because ultimately it's a two-sided platform. It's about serving small businesses, but it's also helping enrolled agents, CPAs, and bookkeepers growth. And we're seeing, we like what we see so far in our early reads. It ties back to something he said earlier in the call. He actually even think references in this where, where he talks about Brad Smith really led that transition for the last 10 years of for Intuit to go from a desktop company to a global cloud software company mm-hmm. and, and the start of the platform, right? Really, I mean, QuickBooks Online became a platform. And Sasan's really now, you can see where his 10 years is. It's going to take Intuit to become an AI-driven expert platform and really all of Intuit as a platform, not just QuickBooks Online as a platform. Yep. So I, I was just like psyched that, you know, this became a story that the analysts are paying attention to. Obviously, people are listening, which is good. So yeah. I don't go to the class every week just to talk to you only. I feel like we are actually talking to the others out there. So. It's great. Well, so um, speaking of you know the the conversation around this, I know that Joe Woodard put together a number of town halls uh, and brought together pro advisors and some people from Intuit to talk about QuickBooks Live. So I, I unfortunately was not able to attend. But David, I understand that you got a recap of of what happened. And there's an article that Joe posted on his website. I, I know that there are a couple of pro advisors and some others uh, 
reached out or made, I've saw some comments, especially from the people that attended the Woodard webinars, try that again, Woodard webinars. So we had uh, three three webinars. I think it might've been three days in a row, but it might've been every other day. Mm-hmm. He surveyed people that attended and um, Rich Priest from Intuit showed up and he talked to all the pro advisors. So he's leading accountants globally into it. And then, but the big distinction here is people who attended that and attended the conference call, they're the ones that noticed, oh, there's some differences in the answers being given, mm. right? So, so San's answers, if you just read in the conference call, feel very like, yes, we're testing, but this is amazing. We The results are amazing and this is moving forward, right? Right. You can almost, you can you can taste it just, just in the responses. But unfortunately that was, I think that took place on like the day after the third Woodard webinar. So within like a five day period, the uh, the message is a little bit different, right? It's, it's at least for people that are observing that attended from the uh, the answers they they said they kind of received in the webinar. Mm-hmm. So Joe would have put out some stats about who attended. Ninety four percent of the people that attended were pro advisors, and eighty four of them are certified pro advisors. So the audience are definitely people that are super super in the QuickBooks family, and obviously super concerned good and bad, right? We're just wanting to learn more about QuickBooks Live. Mm-hmm. A couple of interesting numbers, like these, for the these attendees, right? Only 5% did not perform bookkeeping services, but 44%, it's their primary practice. Another 14%, it's their sole practice model bookkeeping. So you're, you're mm-hmm. pushing 54% of the people that attended this meeting. The only thing to do is bookkeeping, Yeah, right? Like it's super, super, super important. And which makes sense why they, why they, why they showed up to this. Well, so the thing that really struck me, um, going to page, this is a long article going to page three is the polls about the impact. 51% of the people in these town halls, all pro advisors, almost all pro advisors saw a negative impact. 51%, 20% saw no impact and 30% saw a positive impact. So Obviously, Intuit's going to have a hard time or is currently having a difficult time getting pro advisors on board, which kind of makes sense given the lack of communication about this before the test started, right? Yeah. I mean, I think the for, for, for the vast majority of the people, this was a surprise. Yeah. Um, what really is interesting to me is question five. Why didn't Intuit directly communicate QuickBooks Live to its ProAdvisor community before going public with the test? That was one of the questions that was asked on these webinars. And Intuit's answer is, quote, typically Intuit doesn't communicate the testing of new concepts or product ideas, even if the test has some level of public exposure. The normal sequence is to run the test, evaluate the results, and then decide the appropriate level of communication. Rich stated that he regrets not communicating into its test to accounting professionals, especially ProAdvisor program members, in advance of running the test. However, we have some information that suggests that they actually did communicate the test in advance to some ProAdvisors at least, right, David? Yeah, I think there was rumblings that that this was shown before it went live. Um, and because I actually heard about it a little bit, little, little rumblings of it before it went live. But I had... Even from my own imagination, like I was told it was there was a test. And in my imagination, I was like, oh, it's a typical intuit test. Somebody made a fake looking website, showed it to pro advisors, got some feedback. Yeah. And then that following Monday, like it was on the website, like really out there. And like I was like, whoa, this is then that's when obviously we did that other episode and it'll trigger from there. But yeah, so some 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 pro advisor members did get a heads up on this, but in the vast majority, 
of the pro advisors, nobody was told about that, that this test was happening or this is coming yeah. or, or even in, and it's interesting because I, I think there's two arguments on this is some pro advisors are saying, and it's been telling you for three years, four years into it's been saying, Hey, you need to become a firm of the future. You need to start doing advisory work. You need to start doing this. You start doing this. Right. And so some people are arguing that into it's been telling it's, it's clear as mud into it's been telling us this and then there's well, a whole other or sorry clears day clears water like i don't know what would be the proper analogy there <laughs> clears day maybe clears day well, but the other part but there's a whole nother set of people that are arguing that like wait a minute into it's never given us a smell or a hint of this at all and they just dropped it and so this this was really interesting to me to find out which is uh i i got some intel from a a top pro advisor saying that on january 24th Intuit invited uh, over 75 of the top pro advisors to a webinar, a Q&A webinar on the 30th of January, specifically about QuickBooks Live to inform them and get their feedback. But that they then on the webinar said it was under a non-disclosure agreement and couldn't be shared publicly. So apparently Intuit did share this with its top influencers but they couldn't say anything about it because they were under NDA. And that to me explains a lot of the reaction when this did go public and why certain people that I, I figured would be all over this weren't saying a word. They, just, they weren't allowed. Yeah. They, they couldn't. So we're talking about a number of people have commented publicly on the, the rollout of this being mismanaged from a PR perspective why would you think that you can invite over 75 people to a webinar and put them under NDA and then think it's not going to get out there somehow when this is something that's highly relevant to everybody in the profession who has a relationship with Intuit or QuickBooks and you're putting it on the public pricing page? Like how, how did you, how did, how did they think that this could, this would stay a secret? At some point, if you have 75 people in a meeting, is it really an NDA at that point, right? <laughs> like, there's, there's, there's some some number of an NDA becomes ineffective possibly, right? From a math yeah. standpoint. But essentially, like, this is really a bigger, like, Clue Train manifesto, right? And those of you who've never been to that site, go to cluetrain.com. You don't even have to get read the book. Just read the 95 thesis. Thesis number one is markets are conversations. And companies miss this point all the time. Oh, they need to update their website, David. Which, I'm sorry? <laughs> They need to update their website because it looks. Well, it looks like it's from 1999. It is. It, the, the, these guys made this. They were a decade ahead of their time. Wait, so what is this about? Okay, so so two engineers. I think they were engineers. So they were tech uh -huh. engineers. This is on the cusp of the internet, just starting to come out. Um, the, the concept of wikis and intranets, right, and disorganization of the hierarchy, right, it's just started coming out. And so these guys wrote this book, the Clue Chain Manifesto. And these are the 95 thesis. A lot of it is, is markets are conversations. Big companies, your marketing doesn't work, right? You have to have conversations with people. Uh, it really changed my, my, the way I've thought about um, customers, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when, even when I was adding to it, like I've always worked in, there's a, there's a thesis about, you, know, you have to embrace the fact that your customers may know more about your product than you. And if oh, you well, can, that's definitely the case with and, Intuit. And if you can embrace <laughs> that, right? Like it changes how you, the decisions you make and how you, the, how you interact with your customers and how you design your products. Like I've really, right. if everybody has not read this, it's super, super. Actually, if, if you are in PR or communication in any way, shape or form, you need to print these out and hang them on your wall. Like they, it's that important of a doc. And these guys were 
15 years ahead of their time. Oh, that's great. Well, that's why, and and it's a snapshot. Like these guys, this, it's a, I mean, they missed a couple things, but how they were supposed to predict exactly how the internet would turn out is a little hard, but 93 of those are perfectly on the money. Well, I'm going to go check that out. Thank you, David, for that. And we'll put that in the show notes, that link in the show notes as well. Moving on from the town halls, let's talk about something that we could learn about QuickBooks Live from GoDaddy. Yes, that was an interesting article. Yeah, so Ned Dwyer, he's the founder of an app called Spritz. They are, how, how would you describe Spritz, David? Spritz is a uh, prepaid um, small business credit card, debit card. So I actually have one. So it's, it's Spritz, Spritz Works, Spritz.Works. And I too have uh, received one of these cards. I've, I've tried it out uh, myself. It works great. So Ned is the founder of that. Uh, that company Spritz, and he is a listener of the podcast. Thank you so much, Ned, for listening. And he said, hey, QuickBooks Live sounds very familiar to me. It sounds like when I worked at GoDaddy. So in, in 2015, Ned joined GoDaddy as a director of product, working to help their web developer and designer community be successful. At that time, he was part of a project to create a community, a platform for web developers. And GoDaddy had three different uh, ways of helping people who were using their domain service. They had three products, basically. They had DIY, do-it-yourself. That was their website builder product that anyone could sign up for and build their website with. It's like Squarespace or Wix. And in Intuit's case, uh, he compares that to QuickBooks Online. Then there's Do It With Me, D-I-W-M. And that was the internal services department that they built at GoDaddy called Professional Web Services. They would work with you to help you use the website builder or WordPress to build a site for you in a semi-collaborative approach. So that would be comparable to Intuit's new QuickBooks Live, the new assisted bookkeeping service would be the Do It With Me at GoDaddy. Then they also had a Do It For Me product. And that was a full service type of a situation. Um, at GoDaddy, that was their marketplace. And it's comparable to Intuit's directory of accounting professionals, the ProAdvisor directory. Now, to basically summarize this article, what happened at GoDaddy is that the Do It With Me, the assisted product, and the Do It For Me, the the, the community, were basically competing with each other for the same business in a lot of cases. And what Ned says happened at, at GoDaddy is that uh, Do It With Me, because it was so profitable, something like 80% profit margins, which is actually very similar, by the way, to TurboTax Live. The, those those profit margins were so high that Do It With Me ended up getting higher billing than the Do It For Me. And the marketplace kind of just withered at the expense of the Do It With Me product. So if the same thing happens with Intuit, they have a assisted and they have a full service option or a referral option, Ned suspects it's likely that because Intuit is a company that is trying to make a profit, and they can make more money from the from the assisted product that that's what they'll promote and that has uh, consequences right to accounting professionals basically y- you have to figure out how to get clients from outside the ProAdvisor directory because you're probably not going to get as many clients in the future from them. Uh, there's a lot in the, and this is an article that Ned wrote on Medium, by the way, and the link will be in the show notes. Definitely check it out if you're interested. That that, that was my takeaway. David, is there anything I, I missed? Or I, I, I think there's, so, so there's a takeaway and, and, and 
lessons for pro advisors in this, but he also has takeaways for Intuit in this. So if there's any Intuit employees listening, <laughs> you probably should check out this article as well because it's it's very easy on paper, but it's a lot harder to do, especially when it's already a mature market and yep. you're, there's already a significant market leader. And so like this is uh, very complicated. It's going to be complicated waters. If anybody can do it, it could be Intuit. It, it, my money would be on somebody like Intuit doing it, but it's uh, there's lessons in here for all sides of this. Um, and, and I would argue like this might be one of the best thought provoking articles around about QuickBooks Live because like everybody, I mean, yours kind of was, hey, this is coming. Your your articles that you wrote early on, right? Hey, this is really yeah. coming. Look, there's hints of it in Intuit earnings from a year ago, right? Everybody else's articles are like, oh, it's no big deal. Just going to revising, blah, blah, blah. But this is really a super, super thought-provoking article that really tells people, here's kind of what happened when we tried to build something just like QuickBooks Live. Um, and the funny thing is, Ned sent this to us as an email. And as soon as I got it, I was like, you need to put this out as a blog post. <laughs> like, like it, Blake and I shouldn't be the only people that that get to read this. And so he ran yep. off and wrote it as a blog post. It's a great, it's a great post. Check it out. The thing that makes a lot of sense to me about why this would happen the same way with Intuit as with GoDaddy is the margins. So let's say Intuit charges $200 a month on top of the QuickBooks fee for their assisted bookkeeping product for QuickBooks Live. They probably would only be spending an hour or two every month helping a customer on average just to categorize transactions, close the books, whatnot. Well, for Intuit, their cost is probably something like $20 an hour for that labor. So maybe they're paying $40 to service a $200 per month account. Well, that's that's an 80% profit margin. Am I right? And it, yeah, it is. And maybe even more. Like I, I paid for TurboTax Live. I have yet to engage my my CPA that I've access yeah. to. So <laughs> I, you like, have the comfort so, of so knowing you could. I have the comfort of knowing I could. That's correct. But yeah. essentially, I paid an extra hundred dollars, and it's all margin for Intuit. <laughs> Fascinating. Uh, what else do we got today? We have some non-Intuit stories, which you brought to the table. Thank God, because I every story I went through, I was just, every time I got close to bring it to the podcast this week, I was like, ah, it's not worth talking about. And I just threw it in the trash <laughs> pile. So at least you found a couple worth talking about. I'll let you uh, continue on. Now here's one on American Banker. It's called JP Morgan's Diamond, Square Innovative Where We Should Have. And it, it features the CEO of JP Morgan, Jamie Diamond, confessing uh, to having a little bit of envy for the payment processor, Square. This was at JP Morgan Chase's annual investor day in New York recently. He talked about Square and he talked about how they came, they they innovated where Chase did not that they innovated with the little dongle that you attach to your phone that you can use to take payments. He also lamented that Square beat JP Morgan to the punch in making online loans to small businesses and he now sees the opportunity in the 40 trillion dollar investments market. Uh, particularly around providing advice to households of modest means, basically allowing Chase to tap into the loan market that it hasn't been willing to get into, uh, you know, small loans, financial advice to middle-class families, that sort of thing. So I thought this was interesting, David, in the context of this podcast, because you've talked a lot about Square and FinTech and payments and how the banks are going to have to change what they're doing to, you know, target, like become more efficient to reach these small businesses that need loans that aren't getting them. And I don't think it's just about becoming more efficient. I don't think it's just becoming more efficient. They just have to provide them products that they need and want. Yeah. Squares just keeps chugging away. 
if Square ever made a GL, it could be very dangerous. <laughs> Given everything they've built, I mean, they've, they've built so much in the last few years. Uh, payroll, they have built time tracking. Like you can do almost everything from, from Square when it comes to your employees. Yeah, and then you can do all your marketing stuff to, to market your oh, business. Yeah, email marketing. You have your point yeah. of sale. You have, you have everything but a GL. So it's it's very very interesting to see what, what where Square's headed next. But I mean, obviously people are noticing, and I think we need to wa- read American Baker more. I feel like we've been getting some very good articles out of them lately. Well, uh, speaking of feature updates, new features from apps. There's a, an expense management app that I've been following for a long time now called Abacus. I actually used it at one point in my own business. Um, if you use Expensify, they're a competitor to Expensify, started a bit after and have been uh, quickly growing uh, as, as a competitor. Concur is another example of a competitor in the space that's more established that both Expensify and Abacus are disrupting. And I saw this on the Abacus blog last week. Abacus has just released Abacus Travel which is a full-featured travel booking platform accessible right inside of Abacus. And that caught my attention because one of the reasons that uh, we used Concur in my last public accounting job was because of the travel booking that was directly in Concur. Uh, And the reason that you want this as a medium-sized or a large business is that you can create travel booking policies that allow you to control the types of travel that employees are doing, what they're permitted to do, you know, can they book business class or can they not? And you're not in the situation of having to then deal with it after they've already paid for it and are expensing it. And you can also manage all the rebookings and whatnot, all sorts of great features for businesses inside of of the tool. So thus far, I've only seen that in apps like Concur. I don't think Expensify has it. And so it was really interesting to me to see Abacus beat Expensify to the punch in building something like this. So did it say if they're built on somebody else's platform? For example, I know um, Priceline has a platform I've seen developers plug into to build some sort of travel booking site for employees. Um, All the travel sites have some sort of APIs. Does it say anything about that, that they're actually using somebody else's? Or is this it doesn't mention it on the blog post, I don't think. Okay. But I have not dug into the support documentation yet. The, the the big benefit, of course, is the ability to implement all your travel booking policies inside of your expense management app before people expense it. So check that out if you're in the market for expense management or expense reporting tools. Yeah, it's definitely a, a needed feature and saves time because if, you, if you're booking your travel with the same app you're doing your expense tracking with you just eliminated a whole middleman game of getting receipts from one other app over into the expense app right it's just all seamless no that makes sense um and then i think you had one more article about switching jobs yes uh so this is called our job switchers earning more on the corn ferry website corn ferry is a consulting firm that puts out some really excellent uh, analysis and research and this article caught my eye because it features a survey or statistics saying that job switchers in January saw their wages grow 4.6% on average from a year, year earlier, according to new data from the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. It's the fastest growth for job switchers since October 2007 and handily beats the 3.4% growth in wages for those who stayed in their current jobs. 
basically it's getting more and more appealing to switch jobs if you want to make more money, which I don't think is really that much of a surprise to anybody. It's kind of always been, well, over the last 10 years, especially, it's always been the best way to get a raise is to you know, change jobs. Although, David, you were at Intuit for, what, 19 years. So clearly... Uh, <laughs> You made a different choice. Yeah. The, the, they're saying in this article that over, over the last 20 years, only one time did the non-switchers make more. And that was in 2009, when basically there was no jobs to be taken. Like nobody was hiring. <laughs> so that was the only, the only yeah. time that happened. Um, it, the interesting about this article is where it's going to, as so much stuff's going to gig, right? And more and more people are going to head towards that. that I'm, a, I'm just an independent contractor or an independent person route right like is, yeah. is that going like like is this article including those types of numbers because you could are so, you chance there's chances are a lot of people that go out on their own that first year a lot of times maybe are not exceeding their previous income on the year one yeah so this is some this is something that is very interesting is the, the projections that more and more americans would join the gig economy and quit full-time employment and go out on their own as freelancers, that has not really happened nearly as fast as people were predicting. So you're calling bull on all those headlines and those yeah. articles. And, and that's not me. That's There's a lot of really smart people out there that are saying the research was wrong. But what is changing, and what I think this article gets right, is that the average job tenure in the US has dropped. And now it's at 4.2 years, which is down from 4.6 years just five years ago and continues a long-term decline. So it's not that people are going out and getting into the gig economy and becoming freelancers. That really hasn't changed that much. People are just more open to switching jobs more frequently. So think about that. 4.2 years, that's the average. That's across all age groups. For millennials, for people in their 20s and 30s, it's even less than that. A lot of people are switching jobs every year, every two years, three years. I don't. I think technology actually makes it a lot easier to do that these days. Do you, Do you think it's it's a oh people are jumping because they want to go get raises or are they just jobs are just dead ends or like they're where they're, where they're at? There's there's no reason to stay where they're at. I, I think it's two things. It's one. It's really hard to get a meaningful salary increase if you stay. I guess that kind of makes sense, right? They got to be afraid that you're going to leave to to give you a real raise. And if you're going to leave, well, this brings me to my second point, which is that with technology changing so rapidly with business models changing so rapidly, the most important thing career-wise, if you're young, is to be able to be in a position where you're learning. And I don't know, after like two or three years in the same job, you've if you're smart, you've probably learned what you need to learn about how to do that job. And then the only way to keep learning is to get a new job. And if that new job isn't available at your employer, you got to go somewhere else. Yep. And I feel that way too, right? I haven't stuck around in many jobs for very long at this point in my life. And I'm hoping it changes and I do stick around where I am now because I like it. But if if I'm not learning, I'm going to move. And I would actually, there, there's even studies, I don't have this in front of me, but studies that show that younger workers are actually willing to take pay cuts to get into jobs where they are going to get learn new skills. Like that's the most important thing. So, so if you're running a firm and you want your employees to quit, you basically have to offer more opportunities. And give them the chance yeah. to learn. And that, that was my big frustration when I was in public accounting is that like I left after one year at my last firm and it was a big firm. And part of the reason that I left, it was a number of factors, but it was the feeling that, well, I've done one year and next year is going to be exactly the same. Not much is going to change. So what's the point in staying any longer? 
yeah, I agree with you that giving people the opportunity to try new things and move around during the fir- do in the firm and get new skills is super important. No, it's a good find. Something to think about this week. So that's everything I've got this week. Uh, that was a fun episode. What is the future bringing to us, David? What are, what are you doing the rest of March? Uh, the rest of March? Uh, I mean, we're starting to get nice weather. You know, I had a sock trimmer this weekend. <laughs> I was out, you know, I'm wearing shorts. We've gotten to short weather. Yes, I wore shorts all day today. Oh man, really? So we're, we're, we're tipping into a, you know, I got to maintain the pool. That kind of, you know, those kind of spring cleaning <laughs> things we're wearing today. I know the rest of the country <laughs> is freezing, but we have. Yeah, there's people who are giving you the finger right now. Well, as they listen to this podcast, David, you might want to yeah. be careful. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I think we have a, you know, I, I think things really start happening um, end of April and May that, uh, I think uh, Caltex in the UK starts up with all these uh, summer accounting season starts, all the shows, conferences. Mm-hmm. So things will start getting busy here very, very soon. So it's a little, it's quiet news week. It was a quiet, uh, quiet weekend. And we'll uh, get back on this next Friday. So in the meantime, yeah. if people have something exciting they want to send us, how would they get a hold of you? Find me on Twitter. You can direct message me or you can just tweet at me out in the open. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. How about um, you, David? I'm at David Leary. And don't forget about our Facebook page. You can uh, go to facebook.com slash cloud accounting podcast and you can like that page. And hopefully we'll be doing some more. Uh, we did the uh, interview with BotKeeper and we're going to try to do a little, a couple more Facebook lives in the future. It was kind of an interesting model and yeah, uh, it's an easy way to have the community participate. Like that, I think that was the coolest part of it. I think we had mm-hmm. about 45 people all putting comments during the whole Facebook live. So that was kind of fun to do. And so we want to try to do those more often. I'm looking forward to more Facebook Lives and David, have a great week and I'll talk to you again on Friday. Bye, everybody.